Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast for another exciting conversation around Freemasonry. Today, we will be talking about being a District Deputy Grandmaster in your jurisdiction. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. Today we're going to talk about being a district deputy grandmaster in your jurisdiction. And we are blessed to have with us today Zane McCune, who is a past district deputy grandmaster for district number 13 in the Grand Lodge of Washington. As well, David Coldbath, who is also a past district deputy grandmaster for district 13 in the Grand Lodge of Washington. And we have the current District Deputy Grandmaster, Matthew Appel, from District Number 2 of the Grand Lodge of Washington. And then Karsten Osterhold, who is our current District Deputy Grandmaster for District Number 9 in the Grand Lodge of British Columbia in the Yukon. And me, Steve Chung, being your host and asking all the silly questions to get them rambling on for hours like most district deputies can actually you know I, I i gotta i gotta admit you know some of them have kept it really really short but there's not much education that happens when that happens so how about going around the room starting with uh our two currents uh matt apple and karsten uh about being a district deputy in your district and the importance of it. How's that? Start there. Um, all right. Well, if, if you don't mind me yammering on first. Uh, so as far as, uh, at least in my district, being a def deputy, it's uh, it's the like the worst job and the best job sort of rolled into one. There's, <laughs> you you uh you get you go to meetings and and you know whatever you get the people introducing you and all that sort of stuff and it, it inflates your head. And then someone comes and asks you a question to, to help with something, and you sort of go, "I don't have any real power." So, um, yeah. I, I, someone asked me once, actually, it was right after I was installed at, at the installation, said, "Well, you know, now that you're the district deputy, you know, what sort of power do you have?" And I said, um, "I've got a phone, and I can call dad. That that is the sum of my power." So it's a <laughs> it's a great job that and people come to you and they ask you a lot of questions about about masonry and what's going on in your district and what's going on in your lodge. And they presume you know what the heck you're talking about, and it's um and it's kind of humbling because you realize how little you uh, know what the heck you're talking about. So that's my impression anyway on a general level. Carson, is that your experience too, or is it different up up north? Yep, uh, within our constitutions, there is a uh, there's a, actually listed in there uh, the uh, the powers and prerogatives of the DDGM. Until I actually read through it again, 
uh, I didn't realize that we actually have quite a bit more power than what I thought we did. Like you can summon anyone to appear before you and, you know, for, for basically any reason as well. I can, uh, anyone going in as master, I can have them appear before me and prove themselves proficient as a master before I can sign off on, on them as well. So, um, it, you know, it's a fun job. You're, you're representing the grand master. So you have to, uh, comport yourself in a certain manner, but of course, my reverent personality is always going to come out. So I, you know, I am the person I am. So it's a, uh, I always try to make people laugh. And at our official visits, we've got a, uh, we're, well, we're expected to do, not all the time it happens, but we're expected to deliver a, uh, a Masonic paper, which we've written. And uh, uh, they receive us with their grand honors in a big suite. And, and I've got to name all like, you know, 25 guys plus in the suite that, uh, that's with me. But uh, for the most part, I, uh, I just kind of sit up there until uh, uh, till the end of the meeting, and I have to give my few remarks there. But yeah, there's there, there, there's been a few things that I've had to uh, intervene on, and uh, uh, one of them I had to get a grand master's ruling because it was uh, our own constitutions uh, weren't very clear; it didn't spell it out. So I actually had to get a grand master's ruling onto it. So yeah, there's a they they do expect you to be the uh, the be all and know it all of the uh, of the constitution in the district and uh, and sometimes you just have to tell them you know look I don't know but I'll find out for you so exactly I say that all the time and it's kind of funny hearing you say that you have the you can summon people and that sort of stuff I I looked up in preparation for this topic I looked up on the the Washington Masonic Code and there's a section for deputies powers and duties and the powers and duties are listed. There are five of them, and all of them are duties. There are no powers listed there, <laughs> other than report to the Grand Master. It's a short paragraph. All right. And so from a, a past District Deputy Grand Master's view, uh, let's hear what Zane's got to say about that. Well, I think your question on, you know, what, what are some of the, the duties has been well covered by, by Matt and Karsten. I'll say that... Um, uh, you know, representing the Grand Master, you do, you should probably be familiar with the code. You should probably be a um, ritual, should probably be something that you're proficient in um, because you're going to represent sort of what that looks like. You know, you know, you're representing the Grand Master to the rest of the, uh, to the district and people are going to ask you questions. So I think I get a lot, I get questions about, you know, I'm interested in being the deputy um, how do I become a deputy? How do I become a deputy? I think that's, that's probably a good question we can get to at some point during this half hour. Um, but to go along with what Carson was saying with the official visits, and I think this was something that always, it just, it never really sat well with me as an official visit. And that was, I think with the lodges that I was visiting and, and this wasn't any one in particular, it was all of them. They, they kind of expect the official visit to be the center of the program that night uh, as if nothing else is going to happen um, and the whole purpose of getting together is to have this official visit and really like Karsten said you know you're delivering a message at the end of the meeting but for the rest of the meeting it's 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 their lodge it's their meeting and one of the things I always told uh, the worshipful master was don't preempt anything simply because I'm coming for an official visit. Quite the contrary, please have your education, have your degree, have your, you know, candidate stand up and do his proficiency. Please do something. Um, don't just open the meeting 
you know, pay the bills and say, and now our district deputy is going to have a few remarks for us as if that's like the centerpiece of the night. Um, and I, and I warned him ahead of time, please, please don't make the evening like that. And most of the time it was, but, uh, if I was going to give advice to any worshipful master out there or any, you know, potential, you know, deputy out there is if you're going to go out there and kind of kick the tires and look to see what the lodge is doing, you know, encourage them to do what they do and not preempt, you know, the whole night simply because you're coming. And what about you, David? I, I would agree hundred percent. And I, I know in some jurisdictions, the DDGM is part of uh, what they call the, um, there's a, a testing season or whatever. They, they actually go out and they test the lodges on their proficiency and things. We don't have that in Washington there's not a, a renewal of proficiency necessarily by lodges, which I think is kind of an interesting idea, uh, something I've been floating, but, <laughs> uh, but no, it, the it's an inspection season, that's what they call it inspections where they, and it's actually what I've, what I've been talking with some guys about, it, it's really kind of a cool thing. I know I'm off stock. Uh, here, I'm a DDGM, past DGM. I can go off topic. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's really kind of a cool thing because it, it encourages the lodges to come together and they watch each other uh, when they're performing their, 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 their proficiency, they're doing their, uh, their work. If they're performing a degree or whatever they're doing, uh, it's, become, it's really kind of a cool thing. They all, all the lodges come together and it's a popular thing. And so that kind of becomes the program, if you will. But I, I think it'd be really fun to try and do that in Washington. But as far as the ideas of, of being a DGM, it's, it's, it's quite an honor, I think, to be able to be considered. And I was flattered when I was asked. And uh, it, some of my mentors that preceded me, they, he called it uh, the million dollar job you wouldn't give a nickel for. And it, it, it's, it's certainly not as tough as a grandmaster or any of the elected officers, but boy, it's two years out of your life that you'll, you're committed to that. And it's a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of mental capacity. Uh, again, one of my mentors in one of my first meetings with him, uh, when he learned that I was going to be a DGGM, he said, there's probably a word you should learn. It's called contumacy. And uh, I, I, what is that? He said, it's a stubborn refusal to obey or comply with authority. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, while in the Washington Code, there is nothing in there that gives us any authority. We, we joke and we say we have all the responsibility but no authority. Uh, it's absolutely true. But we do have essentially the speed dial to the man, to, the, to dad, as Matt says. And uh, we can we can we can take care of things if needed. But what I really enjoyed was the the ability to talk with guys and help lodges and uh, to, to make them better, to help try and make them better. And that was real. I really enjoyed. So there's a whole bunch of points that come up from the, those comments. Um, one of them uh, I noticed, so there's differences. Uh, Karsten is called a right worshipful and you guys call it a very worshipful. Is that correct? In, in all your jurisdictions down there? It, it is that it's correct. I, I don't want to need to preempt these guys. Uh, I guess I'm the old guy though. I, I get, the old, I, I'm the old DDGM. I get to talk more, right? <laughs> uh, from afar, is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we used to be right worshipfuls when they first instituted the DDGM program in Washington, the, we actually used to be called right worshipful. And then they changed that. And I, we were kind of joking in the last show that, 
Uh, Wally Tofsted was a, a grand secretary at one point. He was also past DDGM. Uh, and I think it was actually 013, but it, it was, he was, he belonged to Nisiqua Lodge, Nisiqua and other Northern areas from district 13, which includes where Zane and I are from, uh, used to be 12 lodges in district 13. Now there's only nine. And uh, I believe he was district deputy in 13. It might've been six, which is just North of us there with Issaquah. But anyway, when he, he was a right worshipful, of course, back in the day as district deputy. And then when he went in as grand secretary, uh, then he was right worshipful still. And so I, somewhere in the fifties or so, it might've been after that, might not have been doing anything with Wally, but I shouldn't disparage him. But he, I understand he was a nice guy, but, uh, but he, he, I think somewhere in there is when they changed it, it was in the fifties, I think to, the very worshipful status. So they weren't the same as our Grand Lodge electeds. Our Grand Lodge electeds are considered right worshipfuls. Dave, do you know if back then they, they did they keep right worshipful after their term or was they were they only titled that during their two year term? I don't remember hundred percent. I think it was only during the term, but I don't remember. Offhand. I thought the switch had something to do with the permanency of a title change. And that's why they said that, and that I think that's where very worship came from. I, I could be wrong on that, but that, that could be, I too. think it has something to do with the permanency of it. I don't know. Uh, Karsten, are you still right worshipful after your, your term? Yes, but I, uh, uh, at the, when I go out, uh, the, um, there's a committee made up of, uh, the, the head of the committee is a past grandmaster and he'll, uh, put forth a recommendation of all the brothers that, he felt that fulfilled their duties to keep their permanent rank. And then it gets voted on by the membership. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's never been uh, where uh, uh, somebody's uh, not, not gotten it uh, unless uh, the, uh, the grand, uh, whoever the past grandmaster has felt that he didn't do his duty. And so we've had the guys that, that don't get to keep their permanent rank if they, they just didn't do their job as a DDGM. But for most of the time, if you, as long as you do your job, you, do your visits. Uh, we've got to do reports on every lodge. Um, um, look at their finances. Look at their minutes. Do all these things. As long as you do what's expected of you, uh, you're recommended to keep your rank. And yes, I'll have that. I'll have the rank of right worshipful for forever. So is that is that the board of general purposes? No, it's a, it's actually at um, at our annual communication or what we what we call Grand Lodge. It's uh, it'll be one of the one of the motions that'll be voted on and uh, it's, it'll just be made by a past grand and somebody will second it that these, the following brethren keep as permanent rank, you know, uh, there and it's, uh, and they, uh, and all the brethren are listed uh, who, who held office throughout that year for grand lodge. Huh. And that, that's that another, go oh, ahead, Dave. Go ahead. No, that was another interesting thing. Karsten only has to do that job for a year. You guys had to do it for two years, eh? It's yeah. Technically, it's two one-year terms. So the one grandmaster will appoint you, and if the next, second guy doesn't like you for whatever reason, he won't doesn't have to appoint you for a second year. But the vast majority of the time, it happens that you get appointed for a second year. Actually, we just changed our code a year or two ago, maybe that now they can appoint you for a third term, because I guess some of the districts out in the eastern side of Washington, where the population is a little more sparse, they were having trouble finding finding people to fill the job. And uh, there's some caveats on that. If you get appointed for a third term, you have to be more or less, you have to be actively engaged in figuring out who's going to take it over, um, which in theory you were before. But uh, yeah, so it's, we definitely, we generate, you know, outside from the fact that there's 20, whatever it is, six districts, 
we generate district deputies a little more slowly because it's usually a two-year term. Although also the grandmaster can fire you at any point if he's so Excuse me if he's so <laughs> Only you, Matt. Only you. <laughs> I, I live in fear. And or, I have or hope, question, one or the other. <laughs> I have a follow-up question for Matt. Um, is when, when Dave and I uh, served as district deputy and we did an official visit, there was usually a meeting before the meeting. It was more of a business to review um, it review their books and finances and, and all sorts of things. Um, with the adoption of Grandview, everything's gone electronic um, and there's just less paperwork for all those things to, you know, demonstrate that they've done them. And if they don't, it pops up on Grandview and the Grand Lodge gets in touch with the secretary and says, hey, you need to do this and that and the other thing. So a lot of that's done differently now. How have you found your, your, you know, the business side of the official visit, uh, uh, you know, during your term? Um, well, I can't say that, I mean, I guess I never did one before there was Grandview, but in my head, yeah, it's not I, I guess before and afters, but kind of hard. Yeah. But. There's not all that much different in my head because there's still a fair amount of stuff, whatever, to make sure that they're the minutes, because at least in our district, um, most of the lodges do not upload their minutes to Grandview. Uh, I know one does because, because I'm the secretary there. But, but the other ones are, are uh, um, only sporadically do so or whatever. There's, there's a lot of things that are not on Grandview that, that need to be checked. Uh, the report of the audit committee and all that sort of foolishness. Um, and plus, I kind of think it's, while tech, it's an inspection and I have a checklist from Grand Lodge that says, you know, check the audit committee, check the minutes, check this, check, make sure they have a copy of the code that's current and all that sort of good stuff. I, I kind of look at also as valuable time to sit down with the, the officers of the lodge who are responsible for that stuff and say, Hey guys, you know, okay. So show me your minutes, you know, Hey, you know, here in your minutes, it's, it's a little, this one's written differently than those ones. What's going on? Or, you know, Hey, how come you, how come this meeting was so only had one topic and it said it was, you know, there was heated discussion and that's all it said, you know, what, ha what happened here? And it's an opportunity to, to sit down with these guys and, and checking things off a checklist aside to, to, as much as I try and be present in the district, I do not know everything that's going on in all the lodges in the district all the time. And yeah. it's an opportunity for me to sit down with them and, and get their philosophies and get what's been going on in their lodges that I can make a reasonably intelligent report to the grandmaster and hopefully be less surprised by things that are coming down the pike. Yeah, I think I think I have a, a, an answer to one of your dilemmas there with, you know, how come the minutes were different? That might have been when Steve was asked to sit in a secretary for a night and you know he's not really a secretary why is this one written in crayon <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh something else that i've heard that sounds like it might be different is how you become a district deputy uh that was uh something zane was saying you get asked that a lot um and i'm sure that's got to be different from area to area so uh how do you how does that happen in your area zane well, uh, I you think you, you don't know, step backwards fast enough, right? <laughs> in District 13, and I'm sure it's similar in other districts down here, but I'm, I'm curious to hear Karsten's uh, uh, perspective in a different jurisdiction. But there is recommendation by the current deputy to the incoming, well, I guess at that time it'd be the deputy grandmaster. So it would be his appointment for the following term. And these are brothers who you know, may, may be standing out that you want to highlight with the deputy grandmaster. The, and that all sounds great, um, but 
you know, as a deputy, I don't, I don't know everybody and I don't know who is, maybe there are people who would like to know more about it. There are people who um, have just for whatever reason, you know, don't come to the surface in terms of who you think of being the deputy. That doesn't mean they aren't well-deserving. It just, for whatever reason, you know, during those months when you're asked to come up with a list, they just don't appear on the list. Um, what's funny is that's a pretty stark contrast to somebody who wants to be the Grand Master. To be the Grand Master, you need to go to an information meeting. There's a lot of disclosure on how much it's going to cost and how much the time commitment is and the involvement of, you know, your wife. And there's, you know, they lay that all out on like, here's what it would take to be the Grand Master. And you have to sort of you know, go through that to make, you know, before you can put your name in and sort of declare that you want to do that. Totally different from the, from the deputy grandmaster, which is almost like you're being tapped and it's pretty secretive. And actually, I'm not a big fan of that. I think that if there's guys out there in our district that are, that are interested, there ought to be some kind of an information meeting that says, here's the responsibility of a deputy grandmaster. It's a lot of responsibility without a lot of authority. It's not meant for everybody. Um, here are the things you need to be good at. Here's, you know, kind of the deputy 101. And they should kind of go through that before, you know, their name appears on a list somewhere. But Zane, it sounds to me like you attended that uh, Grandmasters. No, I, I got that open for you, Dave. Will he announce here tonight? Yes. <laughs> so it does happen differently uh, up here. And depending on what district you're in, it again is different. I'll let Karsten elaborate on that. Well, one of the first things that you, uh, one of your first responsibilities is you, uh, you call a meeting of all the past DDGMs of your district. And so you get together and you, uh, you start getting input on, on who, who you think would be a good DDGM. And we, uh, in, in my district, we have eight lodges. So we've got DDGMs from who served in every lodge. So, Everybody puts forth the names as well as um, for other Grand Lodge offices as well. So we, we submit not only names for DDGM, but we also submit names for um, other Grand Lodge offices. And um, but ultimately, though, it, it's my decision. I get input from them, but whatever names go down is uh, that's that's my decision. That's the sitting Grand Ma uh, DDGM's uh, decision what to uh what names to put forth. And then I submit those names to the deputy grandmaster. And then he can either follow my recommendation or he can do whatever the heck he wants and he can pick someone completely different. If he has a, uh, a friend who's in the district, the only thing he has to be is he has to be a worshipful brother because he has to assume the East on, uh, on his visits there. So as long as he's sat in the East, uh, he can pick who, whomever he wants. And, uh, and and sometimes he does, and sometimes it causes a bit of controversy when the DDGM think that one person should have been the uh, uh, selected, and uh, the incoming grandmaster says, "No, I'm picking somebody else." So now in our district, in District Nine, it it's on a rotation system at the moment, um, generally, not right? All not solid, uh, and and that and that might be changing. What we what we like to do, if we can, is we like to move it around. Um, but if there is simply no candidate from a lodge, uh, we'll, uh, we'll either skip them or as has been done beforehand, 
uh, we'll take out of sequence. We'll take one lodge and we'll put them in there. And then a couple of years later, uh, the other lodge will will get one. But we, we try to move it around as much as we can to make it fair so that we don't have lodges who feel they, they never get to, uh, they never get to have a DDGM. But uh, it's it's interesting. Our, I, up here in District Two, at least, the system sounds like it's a hybrid between between what you guys were saying. We have a we call it the education team, the District Two education team, which is not exclusively past district deputies, but majority past district deputies. And so sometimes it happens after the ed team meets that the deputy says to you know, hey, uh, past district deputies, why don't you hang around for a minute so we can talk. And uh, and then we'll you know say you know hey what do you I, I said hey you know what do you guys think would be who who is out there that you think would be a good next deputy and it's sort of to avoid what you were saying Zane where there's not a you know if I don't get to a certain lodge for whatever reason very often that I don't I don't see a guy who's a good candidate that they would would know his name and, and uh, suggest him and then I when the deputy grandmaster asked me I gave him a list of three names and I said you know this guy's my first choice. Um, but actually, I think he's, well, anyway, there's a whole story. And uh, I, I gave him a list of three names, and he chose one of those three people, which is great. I have heard in the past of the the, the, or the deputy grandmaster, the, the new grandmaster, basically saying, no, I don't want any of those three guys. I want that guy. And uh, and if he knows, if the grand, new grandmaster is familiar with the district for whatever reason, it's where he's from, or he has, he goes there a lot or whatever, that's great. You know, if he knows the people well enough to do that, great. But if it's if he's from you know the, the far western edge of the state and there's you know, some district on the far eastern side of the state that he needs to a uh, DDGM for he relies probably not completely but to a great deal on who the the district deputy suggests. I be interesting to get into some of the you know things that you're you know maybe most proud of or you know areas where. Um, maybe have some frustration or just a little more into the, into, you know, your experiences as, as a deputy and not becoming deputy. Well, we've got about uh, eight, eight or so minutes left. So I'm sure we can go around the table with that one. Uh, who wants to poke at that first? We haven't heard from Dave for a while. <laughs> for sure. Right. For sure. I'm, I'm always the one with lots of information, something to say, right. I don't know. Looking like a deputy. Talk to him. Right, right. Talk to him. Well, that's a that's a good point. You know, one of the things that was, uh, I'm sure, very popular. I would imagine everybody would say is that uh, a master would come to you and say, "Well, what do you think? Or what what about what should I do here? What should I do here?" And I, again, I was counseled to always say, uh, "Well, let's go look at the code, or what does the code say? Our, our constitutions, we call it." And so it, it always would try to refer to what the code says. And people kind of called me the code guy, but I'm okay with that. At least I know that that's what we're following, right? And that's what's written for. And yes, there's a little bit of interpretation involved there, but I don't feel like I can interpret that. That's the grandmaster's job or, or jurisprudence, the committee on jurisprudence to interpret what the code may or may not say. It is, it says what it says. And then any interpretation is beyond my rank. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what, one of the things that just popped in my head, one of the things that I used to talk about was, uh, our proficiencies, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of lodges in our area, and I don't know about in Canada, but uh, a proficiency for a guy to advance to the next level of degrees or to advance in office, they have to prove their proficiency. And there's, of course, in our code, our constitution, it says that the lodge is the sole judge of proficiency. And so whatever that proficiency 
ultimately the lodge decides is what he can pass with. Now there's there, the code does have a list of minimum, minimum things that it must, they must pass. But I believe that since the code, the constitution says that the standard work is the only work and you will do no other. And in the standard work, there isn't a short version of the proficiency in my mind, the code is, interp- is, is implying that the full posting lecture is the true proficiency. And so if a lodge decides to not require what the standard work requires, which is what the code requires, then that's up to the lodge, I guess. But uh, to me, it, it, it's those intricacies, just like with our degrees, if you look at the standard work and there's not a lot of state, a lot of stage direction. I call it in, in our standard work it doesn't give us a lot of things to do or but, but if you read the standard work, it does give you some direction on who should be where and what they should be doing and what, what position they should be in. Just like the code. If you look at how the code is, it's interesting how, I don't know if they did it on purpose that way or if it just kind of has fallen into place that way, but uh, the code and the standard work and other things all seem to just come together and line up well. In most cases, <laughs> but that's what jurisprudence is for. When it's right, Kirsten. <laughs> well, in in our district, we have four different works that are practiced. Uh, in uh, well, in, in sorry, in BC, in in our district itself, there's only uh, there's only two. However, uh, they say there's only two, but uh, most of these lodges, save for one, are are grandfathered. So that means. Whatever ritual you had before Grand Lodge imposed that any new lodge coming in, you're going to have, if you're Canadian, this is the ritual. If you're ancient, this is the ritual. Emulation, this is the ritual. All the lodges, save for one, are grandfathered there. So uh, when they say that we have, uh, in in my district, uh, in District 9, that we have uh, uh, only two different rituals, in reality, we have eight. And it's it's sometimes hard to follow along because... uh, uh, the way they do their wording, even in the opening and closing, the way they uh, they stand and hold signs, uh, it's there, there's quite a bit of difference there. So it's it makes it difficult for a DDGM when you're you're trying to follow along to see if everyone is doing it right. When when you have most of the lodges, they all have some some of quite noticeable little differences within the lodge, but but they're ma- they're, they're minor things. I mean, overall, I've uh, so far it's I'm about halfway through my term. I've really enjoyed the experience. I've had tremendous support from uh, from the brethren i've had uh, big turnouts for all my meetings and uh, uh a lot of warm wishes so uh, uh it, it's time consuming uh, i just finished the stretch i was out seven out of nine days so it's uh, it's a big part of your life that uh, that you have to give up for it but but overall it's it's been a much more positive than uh, than any kind of negative experience for me anyway that that sounds like a regular masonic schedule seven out of nine days yeah. <laughs> only one night a month i swear yeah. <laughs> uh now matt how about you gosh i you know the, the things that i remember most this is going to sound worse than it than i think it is is the the things that almost went horribly wrong and and didn't i like to think because of me um the uh we had you know people would come up to me and say you know i'm gonna I'm pressing Masonic charges against that guy. We need to throw him out or whatever. And, okay, so let's sit down and talk about this. You know, what? why do you feel that way? What would be the goal in doing this? What's the, what's the, you know, let's sit down and figure out what we're doing here and if this is the right time to do it. If someone's being charged with something legally, you know, 
hey, that's some pretty good evidence. If someone's, if you just have a bad feeling, eh, you know, it's, um, so we had situations like that or situations where just guys just aren't getting along in lodge or whatever, for whatever reason. And being able to step into some of these situations and despite having no real authority, being, being able to say to these guys, you know, hey, you know, let's, let's sit down and talk about this. Or let's at least get to a point where we're not yelling at each other in open lodge. And, uh, and that sort of thing is uh, a, um, I mean, I guess it's part of the job, but it's a part of the job that's, that's important, in my opinion, that you can try and resolve some of these things locally and with, uh, so, you know, a, a whispered word in someone's ear rather than everything turning into some grand conflagration. Like I said, I, I still think that sounds worse than it actually is, but it's, it's, uh, it's important, I suppose. Excellent. So as we have a couple of minutes left to wrap up here, is there anybody who wants to get uh, a last thought in uh, on this topic? I was just wondering how you guys do things in, in Washington. When you come from, uh, for your official visit, do you, do you come in with your suite and do they tender you the, uh, the gavel on that evening? I think that's my first question would be sweet. What sweet? I think I think that's a great a great question for the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that we uh, we we're going to wrap this part one up and come back and get into a part two. By the sounds of it, uh, I look forward to seeing you all in part two. Mm -hmm.